Welcome to the New Beginnings Community Church Podcast. Here at NBCC, we welcome the imperfect, flawed, and broken, as much as the healing and thriving, because we are all God's children. We hope you enjoyed this week's message. Hello, everybody. Wow, I get a clap today, huh? That's pretty cool, huh? It's good to have you with us today, and those of you watching online at home, good to have you with us also. Um, Today, like uh, Bruce said, we're going to continue in our series on talent, and the message today is called TaylorMade, and I want to begin by sharing a few things about that idea right there. Um, Because of what I do, I have to buy suits, and obviously I have to have have a black suit always because I perform funerals and weddings and things of that nature. And uh, I like to have a few extra suits on hand, always have, that are a little bit different color with subtle checkers in it and stuff like that that look really nice and things. And every so often I have to go down and buy new suits because styles change and because, well, waistlines expand and things like that. As, As you get older, you know what I'm talking about, right? It gets harder and harder to keep that thin waistline that you had back in your 20s and 30s. But um, my son-in-law, Peter, he's the one who turned me on and the family on to a certain place down in the garment district in L.A. where we go buy our suits. In fact, we've gone before just him and I uh, buy suits. We've done that for all the weddings, everything else. And when you go get a suit, if you've never gotten a suit before, uh, let me just, you're going to get a good education right now. When you walk in there, um, you, if you've never been into one before, you don't know your size. And so you walk in there almost feeling like, I don't know what's going on in this place. But don't worry, the person selling the suits, they can take one look at you and pretty much guess exactly what your size is. It's amazing what they do, because I'm like a 40 or 42 regular. In layman's terms, that means like super buff size, but um, <laughs> feels good to be back, doesn't it? You know, they don't laugh when I'm filming Thursday night just to a camera. It's just really rough. And so uh, you go in there, and so when you, they go, you're a 40, 42 regular? I go, yeah, exactly so. And then you find the suit that you want, and, and you try not, you kind of li- like it, say, okay, I'll take this one. And then comes the most important part. You put the full suit on, and now they're going to start making their markings and their measurements to fit that suit to you, because there is no hemline uh, on the pants. There's no whatsoever. They're just long. And the waist usually is big, and so they get you up there, and they, they typically stand you on this little kind of a podium-type thing, elevated area, so they can mark uh, the hem line, and they ask you, how do you like the front? I like the front of my pants when it hits my, my shoe, on my dress shoe. I like the front of the pants to have a, a little bit of a bend in it as it hits. That's just what I like, and so that's what I tell them that I like, and then they'll go up and they'll, they'll do the waistline, measure that. Sometimes they'll have to take in... Uh, the, the coat within here and so uh, and then uh, you can either get it tailored there they'll do it there for you for uh, price or you can bring it home and I've done both because I have a tailor here in town that I, I trust and I like and I'll go there and have it tailored but they do all their markings then they tailor it then they, they start doing all the cuttings and the hemming and the taking it in and then and by the way when you go to get a suit make sure if you've never done it before take your dress shoe that you're going to be wearing with you, okay? Because otherwise they can't get a good measurement. So you always take your dress shoe with you. And and so do that. And by the way, I've seen this happen just recently again. And a friend of mine did this uh, on a cruise ship and I was thoroughly embarrassed for him. And when I told him, when you get your suit, you know that white tag on the sleeve right there? Please cut it off, okay? 
before you go out because it's funny watching your best friend's wife taking a, a, a butter knife trying to cut thing off on a cruise at dinner. It just, it's an ugly sight, okay? So you take that off. And, um, and also, if the backside, you see those little threads that are kind of squared right there? Cut those off too. Those shouldn't be on there either. So I just, if you didn't learn anything else today, you just got a big one right there. So then they tailor the suit. You, they bring it back. You try it on. And man, that thing is fitted. That thing, it's like you were born to wear that suit. It is tailor-made now just for you. And now all you have to do is pay the price. But it's tailor-made for you. Listen, every born-again believer, God has tailor-made and fitted you and I with gifts, talents, and abilities. Every one of us. We all understand, well, we shouldn't understand that. And it only makes sense that if we have a designer who designed the universe, a creator, which I believe very strongly, I think Genesis clearly teaches that, um, it makes sense that you and I, as God's highest creation of Genesis day, day 6, we're the highest creation of God, and also throughout Scripture, we're the highest creation of God, that He's also designed us in certain ways. Any amens on that? That you all have gifts, talents, and abilities. I told you last week, one of my David verses in the book of Acts, it says that David after he served the purpose of God in his own generation, he fell asleep, meaning he died. But what is that verse telling us? It's loaded. He found out what he was here for. He found out what he was good at. And he lived that purpose of God in the time frame that he was here on earth. Now listen, you have a time frame and so do I. And you may think, well, I'm older now. I don't need to find that. Yes, you do. Yes, you do, because you can use your gifts, talents, and abilities in two major ways. You're going to use it vocationally, and maybe you're retired by now, and maybe you've already used it, maybe not even realize them, but you will use them vocationally. And if you're still in the workforce, you, you find out that you start doing certain things, and you have an aptitude for certain things, and you can elevate if you do the right things within that area right there, because you become, you're very good at it. But that's a vocational thing. But the other side of it is that God wants you to use your gifts, talents, and abilities as a follower of Christ in the local church as a minister you say and I said last week I'll say it every week some of you are going to say no Jim you're the minister that's not just that's a half truth the New Testament teaches that every one of us who are followers of Christ are ministers every one of us are that's just a fact and that's what God says and we're to find our ministry in the local church and do something every one of us are because that's what we're just called to do we're called to serve and if we're missing out and not doing something like that we're missing out on one of the great blessings of God that brings a great satisfaction that the world can never give. Any amens on that one right there? Now, I like what Mark Twain said. He said this. Put it up on the screen, please. Would you read it all with me? And here we go. It says, here we go. The two most important days in your life are the day you were born and the day you find out why. I think that's a really smart statement. The most important days of your life, the day you're born. The second most important day, the day you find out why. Why am I here? Isn't that one of the big questions that people ask themselves in this world? And the answer is yes. And so we are to seek out and search out and find out what our t talents, what our gifts, and what our abilities are, and then put them into practice. So we're going to talk about today your tailor-made. You have been fitted for specific things and, and certain tasks in the kingdom of God. And the kingdom of God is the most important kingdom here on planet earth. Any amens on that one right there? 
Now, we're going to go into our key verses first. Last week, we looked at we're part of a big, big, big story. We're all part of God's big story, His story, His story, history, His story, because that's the big story. And we're all part of that thing. We could be, at least, if we're doing something about it. So let's read our key verses for the series first, and then we're going to get into this uh, tailor-made idea e- uh, even more so. So uh, first verse, and these are, like I told you before, in Proverbs, these are two of my top 50 Bible verses. They're in my top 10 of my Proverbs verses that I like a lot. Proverbs eighteen sixteen says, A man's gift makes room for him and brings him before great men. Now, Proverbs twenty two twenty nine says, do you see a man skilled in his work? He will stand before kings. He will not stand before obscure men. Now, let me quickly, once again, define what that is telling us. And I put them together in there because I think they fit together. The first thing is, when he talks about a man's gift makes room for him and brings him before great men, that's talking about a literal gift. In those days, you'd bring a physical gift to get a door open to see someone of importance. You had to bring that gift. That's what was customary. Now, we take the essence of that verse, the application for our lives, and our gifts that God has endowed us with, if we choose to pursue them and choose to utilize them, it will open doors for us. But there's a, a companion idea to that in Proverbs twenty-two twenty-nine. Do you see a man skilled in his work? He will stand before kings. He will not stand before obscure men. So what does that mean? The word skilled means to flow like water. And the more I utilize my gifts, talents, and abilities, I get better and 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 better at them to the point is it's just effortless. I just flow like water through that very thing. People ask me from time to time, Jim, you ever get nervous speaking in front of people? And the answer is, no, not really. I've been doing it for so long. I've been, I've been preaching, speaking in front of people uh, for about 39 and a half years is what I've been doing. Now, the first time, I did. I, I remember the first Bible study I gave. I remember the text I chose. I was a year and a half in the Lord. I never even looked up. I'm not kidding. I just looked down like this the whole time. I was too afraid to look in people's faces. But then as I did it more and more, and then you get used to it a little more, and then probably somewhere, I would say, in the uh, later 90s, that it finally all my anxiety about it, it, it was just gone. It was just gone. Because it used to feel like, man, it's life and death. I got to do really, really good every week or else no one's coming back. And that was the lie that Satan would play in my head. But then you get to the point where you do it so much, you kind of, you know, it's like, I don't, I'm not afraid. I'm not, I don't get nervous about it anymore. Even if I make a mistake and you catch me, it's still, I just make fun of myself. Any amens on that one right there? Oh, yeah, you like that, huh? But anyway. Now, so I've condensed everything to one statement, and the statement is this. God gave it. Don't waste it. One, two, three. God gave you gifts, talents, and abilities. Don't you go wasting them. Now, so what I'm going to do today is I'm going to give you three points. Three points. In point one, there's two bullet points. In point two, there's two bullet points. But none in point three, but then I'm going to drive that baby home in point three, okay? So if you have your church essentials, you have the little gizmo in the back there, the QR, whatever they call that, you can get all off there, right there. So number one, there's three Ps we're going to do today on the points. And that is the first thing is we all have potential. Every one of you has potential, not me, Jim. Yes, 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 you have potential. Now, we're going to get Matthew 25. You can open it up there, look on your app, whatever it is, but I'll read it to you. It'll be up on the screen. Verse 14, 15 says this, of Matthew 25. This is the parable of the talents. For it is just like a man about to go on a journey who called his own slaves and entrusted his possessions to them. 
Remember last week we said God has endowed you with something of himself. He's given you his possession. To one he gave five talents, to another two, to another one, each according to his own ability. That's right, everybody has their own ability. That's a big statement. And he went on his journey. Then the man takes off. That's a picture of Jesus. He's ascended. He's endowed us with gifts. He's going to come back one day, but he's left, and he wants us to do something with those gifts. Now, if you notice, every one of these guys has differing amounts they were given. Now, just for those of you that didn't tune in last week, weren't here, uh, you know, the guy even that got one talent, a, a, a talent is not coins. It's a weight. And probably these are Roman talents of silver. So one Roman talent is the equivalent of 16 years worth of a man's wages in that day. So the one guy got 16 years worth of wages to work with. So that tells you, number one, the landowner, who is God, he's got a lot in the bank account. Any amens? The other thing is, every one of these guys got something, and every one of these guys got a lot, even if the guy with one talent got one. But let me just tell you something that years and years and years and years ago, it troubled me. Because there's something troubling in that thing, and, uh, and maybe it's bothered you, maybe it bothers you when you read it. Why didn't they all get the same amount of talents? How about one? The one guy gets one. The other guy gets double, two. But then one guy gets five. How do I reconcile that? Because it can almost sound unfair of God, right? Right? It's okay to be honest in church. Now, I'm going to try to deal with that on a couple levels right here. Because I'm using the Bible to deal with that. But to kind of show you... Um, uh, why it is okay uh, in, in, this, in, in these two respects. And by the way, remember, everybody got something, everybody got a lot. The first bullet point is this, as we try to deal with that idea. It is unproductive to compare my talents with others. Have you ever compared your life with somebody else and said, man, why don't I have that gift, talent, or ability? Any amens? I have. I've done that before. I've done it many times. Now, let me be clear and be honest. Don't be offended by this statement. Most of us in this room, most of us watching at home, when it comes to five, two, and one talent, well, probably most of us are twos. And that's not bad. And, and there's nothing wrong with that. There's probably less fives than there are twos. And, and let me give you my little Jim Campo speculation on that before I drive this point deeper. See, the five people, they're the ones that, uh, they like a massive amount of responsibility. They're the ones that can build companies into massive, massive companies, start from nothing, build it up. They're, they're in, a, on, in a pastoral world, they're the ones that have churches of 20, 30, 40,000 people. So you have these people that are five talents. And now, now let me tell you about two talent, one talent people, but I think most of us are twos. And there's nothing wrong with this. There are plenty of people that like to work in the five talent guy's company because the two talent guy or gal, they may just like working eight to five, going home, and not having all the problems and the headaches that the five-talent guy has to deal with. Any amens? And there's nothing wrong with that. There's nothing wrong with that. The five-talent person, they go home with a lot more headache, a lot more responsibility in their life because they've taken the risk, they've built the company, and they provide the jobs. And that's just the way it is. So there's nothing wrong with that either. But here's the problem within the story that I want to help you with. I have found that the grace of God can just make me mad. Has anyone ever thought that? 
you graced that person with a five-talent ability, and I'm a two? They, are you getting my drift now? The grace of God can make you mad, because see, now we're comparing with others, and Paul writes in the New Testament, when you compare yourself with yourself and measure yourself with yourself, you're without understanding. It's foolish to compare ourselves. Now, here's what Paul writes, and let me read it. Let me try to explain it, okay? Now, in Romans chapter 9, verse 20 and 21, New Testament letter, it says this up there. Paul says, on the contrary, who are you, old man? It's like, who are you, Jim, who answers back to God? The thing molded, that's me and you, we're molded, will not say to the molder, that's God, he's the creator, why did you make me like this? Will it? Have we ever said that to God? Have you ever looked in the mirror and gone, why? No. <laughs> We've all done that. Especially when you get older, you know. Like, um, but then he says, or does not the potter, God, have the right over the clay, us, to make from the same lump one vessel for honorable use and another for common use? Now, both of them are being used, guys. But think of what Paul is saying. <clears throat> The thing that you and I, if grace makes him mad, you look at others and say, why, why they have that? Why not me? Why this? The very thing that we cl complain about God is the very thing we like in ourselves. Let me explain. <clears throat> have you ever painted your kitchen a color you like? And maybe you even put in new countertops and you like it. And maybe you even put in new backsplash tile, and you like it. And then you invite your siblings over, or friends, and you show them your kitchen. They go, oh, I wouldn't have painted that color. <laughs> oh, you chose this for your countertop? That's like so 1990s. Or maybe you can't relate to that. Maybe you bought a car and you researched the car and you really like this is the car you wanted. And you brought it home. It's new. And then you invite your siblings over and you go look at my new car and they go, oh, yeah, I don't like the color. I don't know. Why'd you buy a truck? Why'd you do this? Why'd you do that? What do you feel like telling those people who are now criticizing your choice in paint, in countertop, in tile, in a car? What do you feel like telling them? Something like, shut up. Am I right? Am I right? Yeah, you feel like telling shut up because who paid for that? I did. It's my choice. Am I correct? Can I not choose what I want with what is mine? We complain about that with God. God did what he wanted with what is his, us. And to some he gave five, some two, some one town. We complain about that in God, but we don't complain about that in ourselves. I get to choose what I want with what I, with what I have. Did you, did you catch what I said there? No, did you really understand what I said? Because yeah. I can go back and say it again without jokes. No, I'm just joking. Okay, so that's the first thing, first bullet point. Second bullet point is this, to, to help ourselves get over, overcome the hurdle. Some of the smallest are some of the biggest in God's story. Some of the smallest are some of the biggest in God's story. Now, some people that we think are not going to have very many crowns in heaven... We're going to get there and go, how'd you get so many crowns? Well, they did all the, all the behind-the-scenes stuff. 
They were never on stage like me or anything like that. They were out there praying all the time in the lobby, walking the camp. They were doing all kinds. They were out there changing diapers in the nursery. They're going to have all kinds of crowns. Now, you think about it. We, we studied Jonah. Remember when we were back outside? Remember we studied Jonah? In those Please say you remember. I worked really hard on that, okay? Gosh, you know, we did? Who's Jonah? You know, but anyway. Who was the smallest participant that God used in the story? The worm. Remember, some people say, I'm just the worm. Well, okay, but God used the worm. That worm got a lot of play in chapter 4, did he not? That worm was used by God to teach Jonah a valuable lesson that Jonah needed to learn. Some of the smallest things God uses in some of the biggest ways. And by the way, didn't Paul in the New Testament say that God's strength is perfected in weakness? Didn't, and that teaches us that the glory of God shines greater in people that don't have all the gifts and abilities and talents, and then you do certain things and people go, how in the world? And you and I say, the glory of God. It's just God, because it sure wasn't me. He left on the journey and he left me some talents. I used them and through the power of the Spirit, walking in his will, fulfilling his purposes, that's what happened. I can't take credit for it. All I did was get in the game. That's all I did. You see, let me tell you something about your life that you may not understand. And Steve Mason, the AV room, reminded me of this, and I said this all the time before the pandemic, and I forgot so many things since before that time. Every one of you has gold in you. Did you know that? Did you know that? Everybody's got gold inside of them. Talents, abilities, gifts, and you've got to use it. And you've got to use that gold to help other people. It's just that simple. Otherwise, you'll be successful, but you just might be very frustrated in life. See, God wants to use you. Now, that's the first thing. The second P is this. We are all peculiar. Did you know that? Look at your neighbor and say, yeah, yeah, it's true about you, buddy. Yeah. <laughs> now, see, my parents named me, but God framed me. Say that with me. My parents named me, but God framed me. Everybody together, my parents named me, but God framed me. I like that, don't you? I mean, they named me Jim, and I told you before, my three brothers, uh, uh, three are, it, the original names they really gave a lot of thought to, Jim, Steve, and Bob. Wow, that's a lot of deep thought there. You know. But God framed me. Now, <clears throat> now, look at verse 15 again of Matthew chapter 25. It says this. In fact, I'll let you read it. I'm going to get a drink of water, okay? Here we go. One, two, three. So God gives each man according to his own abilities. Huh, I like that. See, God loves variety, does he not? And if you don't believe me, just look around. God loves variety. So, <clears throat> variety. Um, so my wife uh, and I, I think Dylan went with us. It was Friday night, I think. And she says, what do you, you want to eat? And so you ask me what I want to eat. I'm like the guy who likes four things, and that's it in life. Anybody like that? And anybody have a spouse that complains to you, man, you, you're so picky. Anybody that knows what that feels like? I didn't know I was picky till I got married. I really didn't. I thought I was okay. So I said, I want, I want a mod pizza. Now, a mod pizza is like the kind where you, you get to pick everything on there. But I like the mad dog. It's called the mad dog. Because I used to be so angry as a kid. No, I'm just joking. But I, I like the mad dog. 
So we get in line, and you know, on my pizza, it's pepperoni, sausage, hamburger meat, and I say, and you can pick other stuff, I go, throw some bacon on there. Who said, ugh? Now, how many know that's the way a pizza should be made, right? And not my wife. And then it's her relative who's serving us on the other side of the counter. And they've already insulted me because they're both Dodger fans and I'm an Angel fan. And they're already going at me like that. So my wife, she gets her, she gets the Caspian. It's a barbecue pizza. Chicken. Oh, no, but that's not enough. They get to the vegetable section. And she gets almost every vegetable there is. And just stacking it on. And she even puts onions and pineapple on it. What do you mean, yeah? It's like you just ruined the pizza. And so we're sitting there debating back and forth, and even Dylan's going, no, that's really good, all the vegetables. Olivia goes, and then Olivia, of course, you're just picky. You don't know what's good and this and that. Like, I haven't heard that for 40 years. And then her, her, her relative cousin on the other side is going, oh, yeah, it's really good like that. I think, really? What is it, pick on gym night? But it's like, they love all that stuff. And by the way, I, I, don't, know, I don't know how you like pineapple on a pizza. But it gets hot. Oh, sorry, so, so. <laughs> so I got somebody to get angry on. We got to get you in counseling, okay? But anyway, but variety. You know, you don't think God loves variety? I was going to mention the word platypus this morning. Everybody know what a platypus is? Okay, but somebody in the in Avery room mentioned that word. I go, that's funny. I was going to say that word today. The platypus, if you ever look at it, it's like, did somebody sew this thing together or what? <laughs> it's weird looking. In fact, I told them in the AV room that when they first brought one back, I think from Australia, New Zealand, one of the two, back to England in the 1800s, they thought, the scientists thought in England that they had sewn this thing together, that it couldn't possibly be a real deal. But it's a real deal. God loves variety. Every one of us, we're peculiar and God loves it. Now I'm gonna give you a couple things about the variety of your life and everyone's, everyone's life. Here we go. The first thing is this. We will do it different. Everybody's gonna do it different. Now I love to use these two verses. If you hang around New Beginnings every couple years, you're gonna hear me use these two verses together. Watch this. Nehemiah 13, 25, it says, in both cases, they're trying to get the people to repent. Now here's Nehemiah. So I contended with them and cursed them, and struck some of them, and pulled out their hair. How'd you like that if I did that to try to get you to repent? Who needs repentance, huh? Yeah, okay. Why'd they shave their head? No, I'm just joking. And, then, and made them swear by God, you shall not give your daughters to their sons, nor take their daughters for your sons or for yourselves. That's Nehemiah. Now watch Ezra. About 100 years earlier. When I heard about this matter, I tore my garment and my robe and pulled some of the hair from my head and my beard and sat down appalled. Both worked. Who was right? Whose style was right? They're both right. Don't, it's not, well, which one? I don't know. I don't want to say that. They're both right. They both work. Everybody does it differently. Do they not? If you've parented kids into teenagers and adulthood, you know that's true, huh? As a parent, the, one of the most frustrating things is you tell your child, do it like this, and they do it like that for so many years until one day what? They're going to do it the way they do it. I'll never forget the day. I'll never forget the day. When Nathan, when I'm telling him, Dad, 
Dad, I got to do it the way I do it. And then he says, you always do everything the hard way, Dad. <laughs> and he didn't mind telling me that for the next so many years. And he would do it different. And you know, it's hard for a type A personality to swallow that because how many type A personalities know that your way is the only way in the world to do it? Come on, how many out there? How many of my friends are out there? Okay, God bless you, God bless you. We're going to have a group for you afterwards, but don't worry about that. But everybody does it different. And you got to find out the way you do it within your gifts, talents, and abilities because you're peculiar and God made you that way. Now, the second thing I want to tell you is for those, well, let me say this, the statement first. Leaders need to read the differences. If you're a leader, you need to read the differences in people. Now, if you run an apartment or you're the head of overseeing people or your HR or you run a company or whatever you do you really need to be a student of people you need to read books on people different personality traits you can even read the Enneagram book those types of things because you got to look at people and understand what they can do and what they can't do now I'll make this some thoughts at you leaders 5-2-1 talent Let's say you have an employee, faithful, good worker. You can go on vacation, trust that guy, trust that gal. But there are two talent. But one day you decide, since they're so faithful, they're a good worker, I'm going to give them five talent responsibilities. What will, you, what will that do to them? It'll overwhelm them. It will destroy them. It will probably paralyze them. It will stress them out. And you might begin to think, well, they're just a lazy employee because they're not getting all these things done. That's not, they're not lazy. You put too many tasks. You put a five-task responsibility on a two-task person. It's not their fault. You didn't read them right. Now, let's flip the coin. As a leader... If you have a five-talent person, and then you decide, and they're faithful, but you decide, I'm going to give them two-talent responsibilities, what will that do to them? Number one, it'll bore them out of their mind, because they can do way more. Secondly, they'll feel insulted, will they not? It's like, really, this is all you're going to give me? I can do way more in this company. So you've got to learn to read people, and by the way, when you read people, you not only read the gifts and abilities, you must read the maturity level. Because you can have somebody with all the gifts, talents, and abilities in the world, but if they're not mature emotionally, which many Americans are not, boy, you're heading in for some real meltdowns out there. Because they could use, they could, they could do damage in a company. Now, so now we have potential. Now we have peculiarity. But the third thing is, we need to play. We all need to play. What does that mean? We need to get in the game. Watch verse 16. <clears throat> it says, Immediately the one who had received the five talents went and traded. Now we're seeing what they're doing with it. Went and traded with them and gained five more talents. In the same manner, the one who had received the two talents gained how many more? So the first two guys are doubling it. They're doing really good. But here it comes. Here it comes. Verse 18. But he received the one talent went away, and what he do? He dug a hole in the ground and hid his master's money. 
first off, he says, you got to go get in the game. Two guys get in the game. Two guys double the money. One guy says, I'm not getting in the game. I'm not doing anything. I like just sitting around in church doing nothing. Give me a message. I'll go home and burp a little bit off that message, but I'm good. But I'm not serving anywhere. I want you to notice something that I'll say now. I'll expand later in message four, I think. All three of them, if you read the whole text, all three of them, it says, once they got the talent, they went. It says of all three. In other words, all three used up energy, used up effort, and used up time from their life. But only two were productive in the kingdom of their master, and one was very unproductive and did nothing. But they all, they all went. Time, energy, you know, effort. They, they used all those things. Now, <clears throat> here's a question. What will the one-talent guy who buried his talent never, ever experience in his life? Let me show you. Proverbs 18. Give it to me. A man's gift makes room for him. Brings him before great men. Will he ever experience that? Proverbs 22, 29. These are our key verses, remember? Do you see a man skilled in his work? He will stand before kings. He will not stand before obscure men. Will he ever experience that? No. He'll, he, may, he may use that vocationally, but he'll never experience it in the kingdom of God, and that's the most satisfying kingdom. He'll never experience those types of things. <clears throat> It'll just lead to frustration. You know what Jesus told his followers in a different passage? He said this in Luke 19. And he called 10 of his slaves and gave, the, gave them 10 minas. It's a parallel story, but not the exact same story, but similar. And said to them, do business with this until I come back. What did Jesus just tell them? What I've endowed you with? What I've gifted you with, you got to do something with it. You, you, you got to do business. The guy goes and he buries his talent. And when we get later on in the story, we're going to really expand that. Now, <clears throat> I, um, I have a couple friends in church. I, I have more than two, by the way, but I have a couple. And you know, they... They're grown men, but they collect action figures. Now, I'm not hard on them because a year and a half ago, Dylan asked me, what do you want for Christmas? And I wanted a, a Predator action figure. Anybody like the Predator besides me? I, I think the Predator is the greatest sci-fi invention of Hollywood. I just like the Predator. In fact, if you walk in my office, there's the Predator jungle face hanging in my office. I like the Predator. In fact, if I could afford, I would get a life-size Predator for my house. But they're like $3,500. I've looked it up. <laughs> so the next bet is I, I'd like to get the whole Predator jungle mask. It's the jungle, the original movie mask. Hang in there with all the long tube-like hair and stuff like that. I, I'd walk around with it here. I, it'd be great. <laughs> Did they say, wear a mask? Okay, I got my mask on, man. <laughs> I just like the Predator. Now, back to my friends. They collect these action figures. They collect a lot of action figures. And... Um, Every so often, before the pandemic, we'd go down to Frankincense. Anyone ever been to Frankincense? Yeah, they think that's like Disneyland. It's, it's like a miniature Comic-Con. But 
and they go look at the action figures. One of my friends, he buys action figures because I've quizzed them. One of my friends, he, when he buys an action figure, he takes the action figure out of the box. My other friend, he thinks that's like blasphemy. My other friend leaves his action figures in the boxes, never takes them out of the boxes. In fact, he takes the boxes with the action figure in it and he puts them in a larger plastic container and puts that, seals that, and puts that out in the garage. I thought to myself, huh. You mean you have action figures that see no action? <laughs> right? They don't make any sense. Well, neither does it to be called a follower of Jesus Christ. You're an action figure and you've never volunteered or done anything. You see no action. You know I'm right. You know I'm right. When Jesus makes the great statement at Caesarea Philippi on the north side of, of Israel, there's Cindy at the gates of hell where on the north side there sitting there in that cave, remember in the north side in Israel? He says, um, upon this rock I'll build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Well, the word church there, one of the great ideas of it is the church is a group of pebbles all coming together to form a giant slab. He says that will drive back the gates of hell. But if that doesn't happen, if all the little stones and pebbles never come together as a team, then you don't drive back the gates of hell. We're called to come together. We're called to serve. We're called to volunteer. I have a lot to say about that, but I'll say it another time, especially with what's going on right now in the pandemic. But we're called to do these things. I, I'm just amazed, and I, I don't know. I, I'm amazed that somebody can serve God for eight years, ten years, and decide one day I'm not serving anymore. I didn't know there was a quota we met. I didn't know this is like, well, I already did it, now I'm done. I didn't know it was my life. I thought it was God's life. See, we're called to come together. See, I remember a, a pastor said this in the 80s, and I'll never forget it. He said, the hope of the world is the local church. The church of the living God is the hope of the world. It's the kingdom of God on earth. It's the kingdom that matters. And we're called to do something. We're called to do something. Now, and I don't like to use fear tactics in this or anyway, but there is a reality that's coming that I'll talk about next week, but I'm just going to tempt you with it right now, or not tempt you, but just wet your taste buds. And that's verse 19 of Matthew 25, and it says this. Back to the parable, it says, Now after a long time, the master of those slaves came and settled accounts with them. When it says after a long time, it really means after your entire lifetime. That you and I are going to stand before Jesus Christ. This is not about salvation. You're going to heaven as a born-again believer. That's a done deal. But we're going to stand before Jesus and look in his eye and you're going to say, well, so what'd you do? What'd you do with the gifts, talents, and abilities I gave you? How'd you help that local church out? What'd you do? And you can't lie to him. Right? Right, right? He's going to want to know. He's going to want to know. Now, we're going to talk about that 
in greater detail next week because the scriptures teach us a lot about that. But I'm going to end right there for today. But let me say this. If you're here, which you are, or you're watching at home, or you're watching later on during the week, and you've never placed your faith in Jesus, you've never made him your savior, the one who created the universe and who designed you with gifts, talents, and abilities to do something of impact in this world for him. See, that's your purpose. That's your reason. Then today's a good day to give your life to Jesus Christ. Let me explain to you why in the base sense, the gospel. Jesus, he is God in the flesh. He didn't begin existing 2,000 years ago. He always was. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God. And the Word was God. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld His glory, the glory of the only begotten Son of the Father, full of grace and truth. Here comes the Word, and the Word in Genesis, and God said, there's the Word in action, Jesus creating everything. He always was, but He comes here 2,000 years ago. He intersects us at that time. And he, inters and he came many times. But at that moment, this is the pivotal moment where everything changed. Where all the prophecies are converging in that moment where he goes to the cross. Because he saw us that, you know, we couldn't get life right. We did bad things. You know, we messed up in areas. And, and those mess ups, that we're never going to get into eternity with him. And he says, I got to go do something about this. And it was already prophesied 4,000 years earlier in Genesis 3 that he would come. Right away after the fall of man, after an Adam and Eve sin, Genesis 3.15, he's coming now. And he goes to a cross and they, they, they rip him apart and they, they spit all over him and they pierce him and, and he's bleeding everywhere. But it's that blood. That's bl that blood that, that cleanses away sin for you and for me because he says, these guys can't get it right. Jim can't get it right. And he, he'll never make it into heaven as a sinner. None of us will. And you say, well, Jim, I, I, just, I could be a good person to make it. How good is good enough? You can't answer that question because it's unanswerable. It's only through the life and blood of Jesus Christ. He sheds his blood and he dies and they bury him. And three days later, the disciples themselves were shocked. They, they didn't expect him to rise from the dead. His own followers and he rises from the dead for new life. That's the gospel. Fifty days later, he ascends to heaven because he's not of this world. He created it, but he's not of it. And he invites everyone now to put their faith in him. I, he says, I've opened the door. I've opened the door. But you've got to confess him as Lord and Savior. And you've got to allow the blood of Jesus to wash away your sins. And I'm going to give you the opportunity right now. If you've never done that in your life, or maybe you backslid. You understand everything I just said. And it's time for you to come back. Come on, come back. So I'm going to lead you in a prayer. Whether you're going to put your faith in Jesus for the first time in your life. Or you're going to rededicate your life. So I want you all just to close your eyes right there. I want you to repeat this prayer. Everybody say it. And especially you who looked up at me, you say it. Those at home, you want to rededicate your life or put your faith in Jesus, you say it. And you got to believe in Jesus. Those at home, say it with them. Right here, say it with them so no one's alone. Here we go. 
Thank you, Jesus, for loving me so much that you would die for me. You would shed your blood to forgive me. Forgive me, Lord, of all my mess-ups, all my bad thoughts, all the wrongs I've done to people. Forgive me, I'm a sinner. And I know I'm forgiven of everything. I put my faith in you today. Today I follow you for the rest of my life. Thank you for saving me. Now, everyone, let me pray. God, I pray for everyone, Lord. I pray, Jesus, that those who said that prayer for the first time or those who rededicated their lives to you, Jesus, today, man, do I pray that they'll begin this life or get back to this life of faith in you and experience the fruitfulness and the fullness of, of, of this type of living. Jesus, it, they're your highest creation. Hum, humanity is, and you've come to save them. You came to seek and save that which was lost. That's what you said in Luke 19.10. And you saved some today. We know all of heaven rejoices over anyone who repents and comes to God. Luke 15. And so we thank you, God. We thank you for this moment. We thank you for this blessed, blessed moment. In Jesus' name we pray. And we all say, amen and amen and amen. Amen. You can stand up with me now, would you? Now, I'm going to let you go in a second. And remember, a few things. We're going to ask you to exit that way. If you have a physical offering, there's a drop box there and a drop box over there. You can drop it there. There's many things you can give to this holiday season. There's many people in need. Um, uh, you, you can take advantage of that. If you need prayer for anything whatsoever, anything, we have people to my left, your right, they will be glad to pray for you for anything at all. Okay? And if you said that prayer... You're following Christ. Talk to the Christians around you. Ask them, what do I do? If you said that in this room, go talk to someone over there. They'll set you on the right track and pray for you. But otherwise, God bless you guys. We will see you later. Have a great day. If you need prayer or dedicated your life to Christ, please reach out to us on our social media, on Facebook and Instagram at NBCC Norco. Or email us at hello at nbcc.com. Thank you for listening. Don't forget to share and subscribe to this podcast.